You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Good morning. So glad that you are here today. If you have your Bible, you're going to want to take that out. We're going to be around in the scriptures today as we start a brand new series. Uh, How many of you would say that you are rich in friendships? And I want you to be honest. Like you just feel like you are rich. You're almost overwhelmed in friendships. How many of you? Okay, a few. How many of you would say, God, I just need a friend. Like, I just need some more friends in my life. How many of you say that, right? I think a lot of us, we are looking for friends in our life. We're reaching for acceptance. And if you look at the different generations, a lot in our culture has changed when it comes to friendship. If you were born in the 40s or 50s or 60s, will you shout out right now? Come on, 40s, 50s, 60s. All right. Now, this is what you would say. If you were born in those eras, you would say, hey, listen, we did not have video games. We didn't have cable TV. We didn't have streaming movies, surround sound. We didn't have personal computers on our, we didn't have, you know, cell phones. We didn't have the internet. We had friends. That's what you would say. Back then we had friends instead of all those things. We went outside and we found them. That's what we did. We looked for them. We walked to their house. We knocked on their door. Sometimes you just walked in and you just sat down and had a conversation with them and talked to them. That's what you did in those days. If you were born in the 70s, will you give a shout out right now? 70s or 80s? Come on, 70s, 80s, right on. There. In the 70s or 80s, we tried to find community in having members-only jackets. Remember those? Driving with the family, maybe in the back seat of the station wagon, trying to get big rigs to honk at you on the freeway. Remember those station wagon seats that used to face backward and make us all car sick? Yes, those ones. You also uh, actually bought Reese's Pieces, hoping to attract a friendly alien who would want to phone home. And if you were born in the 70s or 80s, you actually called 8675, help me out, 309, right? You actually dialed that on your phone. And you wanted to either join the A-team or be a Goonie. That's what happened in the 70s and 80s. In the 90s, we discovered email. For the first time, we also wore more plaid than a lumberjack. We watched the show's Friends and Seinfeld. We tried to find community by learning line dancing like the Macarena. And we had slap bracelets and we collected Beanie Babies. Do you remember those? All right. So, yeah, 90s people, give me a shout out. All right, and uh, in the 2000s, if you were born from like, kind of, if your youth was in the 2000s till the day, will you give a shout out? Yeah, all three of you, great. In the 2000s, at 11 a.m., it will be overwhelming. In the 2000s, we had parties to watch American Idol. We were introduced for the first time to Harry Potter. We owned an iPod and exchanged a box TV for an actual flat panel TV. We wore Heelys and we texted each other. And in the last few years, basically, we became addicted to social media and Netflix and dabbing and fidget spinners, okay? If you don't know what either of those last two are, it's because you're older like me. You can almost become instant friends, you would think, right? You can just almost become instant friends just based on the commonality of the decade of your youth. That you could just connect with people because you had shared memories, shared experiences, shared values in the decade of your youth. But the truth is, we are more connected than ever, and yet we are lonelier than ever. And so we are in a series called Ships. And here's the idea of this series, just thinking through some of the things we wanted to talk about, some of the things we wanted to do, just asking the Lord, Lord, what would you call our next series? He very clearly was just saying, call it Ships. 
And, and the idea is this, what are the vessels that you or I need to get on to get us to where we are growing in a positive direction? What do we need to board? What do we need to get on? What are the vehicles or the vessels that get us from point A to point B in a positive influence in our lives? And so we're going to talk about different ships. Today we're going to talk about friendship. In the coming weeks, we will talk about fellowship, leadership, worship, hardship, citizenship, discipleship, ownership, and stewardship. What are these vehicles that you and I need to get on, these vessels that you say, I have a choice. I either board the vessel or I don't to get me to a place that will cause positive growth in my life, that will lead me to a destination which my heart and my life really long to be. What will help walk me into manhood or womanhood? Listen, we are constantly waiting for an invitation to belong. You're waiting for an invitation to belong and you're looking for acceptance with other people, something that just helps shape and validate your identity. And we do this so often through relationship, through friendships. They, they are the vehicles. If you've lost a friend, you know the difference that it does to your identity and who you are and, and what that meant to you in your life and the value that that friend carried in your life. But we want to say, what will help us get to where we want? What vehicle, what vessel do we need to board to get to where we want to be? And so the next few weeks, we're going to talk about all sorts of ships. Here's why you need this sermon. I want to help you qualify and substantiate a clear answer to this question. Qualify, substantiate a clear answer to this question. Here's the question. Are you ready? Are you establishing healthy friendships and avoiding unhealthy ones? Are you establishing healthy friendships in your life and avoiding unhealthy ones? Because sometimes we just get carried along. It's like you boarded a cruise ship and you're being carried along and you just kind of bump into who you bump into at work or in your network or at the coffee shop or in your dorm or in your school classroom. That you just kind of get carried along by life in different areas and you're just like, well, I guess my friends are going to be determined by whoever I bump into, whoever I kind of rub shoulders with. And the truth is, are you being intentional about the kind of friends that you have in your life? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says this, and this is the theme verse for today. It says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So walk with the wise to become wise. All of us, to some degree or another, we want to become wise. We want to become smarter in how we live. We want to become better. And, and we understand, though, that if you hang out with a bunch of fools, then the companion of fools, Scripture says, as a principle, the companion of fools suffers harm. Now, I'm so grateful to Andy Stanley and Stuart Hall, two guys who about a decade and a half ago wrote a book called The Seven Checkpoints. And in that book, they give probably what is the clearest definition of what friendship really looks like and how to have healthy friendships in your life, including uh, this principle. And you've heard me say it, but now the source you know is Andy Stanley and Stuart Hall when they wrote this. Number one on your outline is this. My friends determine the direction and the quality of my life. See, your friendships are going to determine which direction is your life going. Is your life going in a positive direction or is it going in a negative direction? Do you realize that your friendships around you have the ability to elevate you, to lift you up, or they also have the ability to take you down in the spiral, the vortex? 
and your friendships. You could be doing fine, but your friend isn't doing fine. And, and maybe their, their life choices and other things are just dragging you down. And other times your friends are the people who are lifting you up and you want to say, what kind of friends do I really have? In the Bible, one of the most famous friendships is the friendship between not yet King David. He's not yet the king. He's been anointed king, but he's not yet the king. And then Jonathan, who was actually the prince. He was the son of the king. He was the rightful heir to the throne. But this friendship begins to develop. And, and if you're a man in the room like me, you know what that's like. When you walk into a room and across the room you see some dude and you're just like, for some reason, like, we just have like this, uh, it's not a man crush, but it's something like that, right? You look across and you see and you're just like, we are like almost of kindred spirits. Like, like that guy has a woo factor. I, I want to get to know that guy. He just seems to be like either a cool guy or whatever. We just, we seem to connect. And so you walk in and you see that kind of person. There's nothing weird about it. It's actually just a basis for friendship. Well, that's what was happening between David and between Jonathan. But you got to realize that's an odd pair. The anointed king versus the rightful heir to the throne. These are the two least likely guys to strike up a friendship. Right? Because Jonathan is the heir to the throne. He's the next king. But here comes David. God has said, Saul, I've taken the ownership of the throne away from you. I'm now anointing David. In other words, it's going to end with your family line. You've not been following me, Saul. It's now going to go with this young shepherd boy, David. So this picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It says this, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. So here's a picture. David's having a conversation with Saul, the king. But as he's talking, something's going on in Jonathan's heart. As he's listening in on this conversation, he's like, this guy is a man's man. This guy is the real deal. This guy is like, he, he's speaking and validating the things that have been growing up in my heart that maybe as prince I haven't talked about. Because it may or may not be safe to talk about those values when your dad is the king, right? So he listens. So it says, at that point, and he became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. So as David speaks, Saul finally goes, this is the kind of guy I want around me. He brings him in to the king's household. So it's the basis. Now they're going to be able to mix it up. David and Jonathan are going to be able to mix it up. They became one in spirit. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be one in spirit? Here's a principle I want you to catch. You become like the people you hang around. You become like the people you hang around. One in spirit just meant what I was talking about. That in a friendship way, not in a weird way, and culture has messed up, let me just say to the men in the room, culture has messed up men friendships in an unfortunate way. That we need a brotherhood around us. Just like women need a sisterhood around them. We need friends in our lives who are positive influencers in our lives. We need deep friendships. We don't need to be self-sufficient and isolated and on our own and just about our work and maybe just about our family and that's it. No, you need a brotherhood around you. You need a sisterhood around you. And this is the kind of friendship that they're talking about. When Jonathan loved David as himself, it wasn't weird. It wasn't an erotic love like our world might oftentimes think love is. It wasn't even just a brotherly love like, hey, you're my bro until you stab me in the back and then we're not cool, right? There was every ability for them to have this competition over the throne, but they became one in spirit, which meant we lay aside that stuff. There's mutual sacrifice for the sake of friendship. Have you ever had a friend 
who would identify for you that that's what that's like, that there's a mutual sacrifice of bigger issues, of bigger things for the sake of friendship. That's what happened. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 3, it says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So here Jonathan takes these things off. And what you need to realize is, again, it says he loved him as himself. What happens here is that he sacrificially loved David. Why did he make a covenant? If you're friends, you don't got to make a covenant. But if you're Jonathan, the heir to the throne, and you're David, the anointed future king, you better make a covenant because lip service is only going to go so far, right? So he basically is saying, we are making a covenant. I covenant with you that I'm putting myself under your future leadership. In other words, what he did in that moment was amazing. Though Jonathan would have been the heir to the throne, he gave David his royal clothing and his royal weapons, which were signifying that you're the prince, you're the next king in line. Nobody else has a clothes like these. Nobody has the ornate and official weapons like these. And he gives all those things to David. He makes a covenant, and as a sign of the covenant, a sign of the sacrifice, a sign of this promise they've made together, Jonathan gives David the rightful weapons and clothes for the heir apparent to the throne. It wasn't eros love, it wasn't brotherly love, it was agape love, sacrificial love. And we see that Jonathan is saying, I am sacrificing my right to be right for the sake of friendship and I'm giving you these things because we are one in spirit. Now if you know how the story plays out, you'll know that later on when Saul is killed in battle, so also is his son Jonathan. Never would have seen the throne anyway. They were both killed in battle together. But at this point, they don't know the end of the story. God does. And at this point, they become one in spirit. They lay aside the foolish competition. They say, we're going to go ahead and be friends. I want to talk with you today a little bit about what it looks like to have genuine friends in your lives. Genuine friendships move in a positive, mutually beneficial direction. Okay? Genuine friendships are going to move in a positive way. They're going to move in a mutually beneficial way. Some of you in this room, you have friends where you're the positive one all the time. Some of you in, the friend, in this room, you're dragging someone in a beneficial direction, but they're not doing that for you. You're trying to do that for them, but they're not doing it for you. Genuine friendships are where both mutually are moving in a beneficial direction, mutually are sacrificial, mutually together are walking in a positive and a beneficial direction because your friends determine the direction but listen, also the quality of your life. The quality of your life improves with the friendships that you choose. The friendships of people who accept you and you choose them and they choose you. The quality of your life. Let me ask you, are you increasing the quality of your living experience because you're choosing friends? A couple years ago, I realized my life had become all work. I become all work. It's been a busy eight years uh, for me here at Sun Grove Church. And a couple years ago, I was just like, okay, as I'm looking at this year, I'm going to have two goals in my life. One is I need some guy friendships in my life because life would become all about work and family. Okay? Second, I need some hobbies in my life. And I remember writing in my journal, I said, you know, Lord, I, Lord, I just need a friend. I'm just being vulnerable before God and saying, God, I just, I just need a friend, Right? 
And literally the next day, Mike Millette calls me, who's one of my friends from all of life. He's down south. And he just says, you know, Dave, uh, I'm ready to get back in the ministry game. He had been down with a back injury for a number of years. And we began the conversation that ultimately led to Mike getting hired on here and now is our executive pastor. And he also works with our students. But again, I mean, God just almost instantly, I'm just in my journal, literally the day before, God, I just need a friend. The next day, an actual friend called and God had put him on assignment and made an answer to that prayer. But how often have you and I just begin to say, God, you know what? If I'm taking inventory of my life and my friendships, there's little moments where you got to realize I've backed myself into a corner. I've backed myself into isolation. I've backed myself into busyness or career or family or whatever. And you've laid aside the importance of friendship because all these other things out here are important things. They're all quality things. But at the cost of the people around you who will move you in mutually beneficial direction. So God began to, that year, restore some guy friendships. God began to, that year, give me a couple hobbies, photography and kayaking. And began to just do some things in my life that were actually refreshing me, recharging me, pouring back into me because I had backed myself into a corner where everything was, was uh, my marriage, my family, and my work. And God said, no, I want you to be, you're missing something in life. You need a deeper sense of community. You need genuine friendships in your life. There are not, at the same time, there are not ungenuine friendships these would be the kind of friends around you that lack convictions. They just don't have any convictions in their own life. They're going to have a very difficult time if they lack convictions, a very difficult time being a good friend to you. And a friend who lacks convictions is going to say things like this to you. And, and you might hear these statements from a friend. You might hear them from a parent. You might hear them from your own mouth and be like, oh, oh no. But these are the kind of things that ungenuine friends or friends who lack conviction will actually say, they'll say, you know what, you just need to do what is right for you. They'll say, everyone has to decide for themselves. This would be the kind of person who just doesn't, they don't have any convictions in their own life and their investment in your life is not to move you in a mutually positive direction. They'll just say, hey, everyone's got to decide for themselves. In other words, that's on you. I have no responsibility as your friend to help move you into a positive direction. What you want around you are friends who are going to speak to you and move you in a godly, right, and positive direction. Sometimes when you and I pull away from community, you pull away. You're like, I was involved in a circle, but after, you know, this one series, then I, I've dropped off. I'm not in a circle of people anymore. And all of a sudden you realize, at what cost? You no longer have people who are moving you in a mutually positive direction, a mutually beneficial direction. And you are going to become like the people that you hang around. And life will always give you people who are not genuine friends in your life to hang around. Listen, counterfeit friends need to be moved out of your circle of influence and moved into your circle of concern. And there are three different circles that I'm going to talk about. They're out on your outline. But you have to, if you have a person in the circle of concern, you've got to guard your heart. You're not saying I'm not going to be their friend. You're going to say I'm going to guard your heart. And if you're taking notes today, number two is don't unfriend counterfeit friends, but put them in the right circle. Don't unfriend them, but sometimes you and I have to outgrow our friends. Sometimes you and I are going to move our friends that we have, and we're going to make them not in our circle of those who influence us, but we're going to move them to the place where we love them, we accept them, but 
they are not going to be the ones influencing us in our key decision. They're not leading me in the right direction. And so there's three circles. Let me show you what they are. Number one, you've got the circle of, of right up here. You've got the circle. I got There we go, right? There. All right. So we've got the circle of influence. And the circle of influence are going to be the people who are around you, who are speaking to your life. These are your genuine friends who move you in a positive, mutually beneficial direction. But some of you right now may have some people in your circle of influence. They are influencing you, but they're pulling you in the vortex down. Or they are the kind of people who are not moving you. They give you the bad advice. You're to not keep your commitments. You're to leave your marriage. You're to do this. You're to do that. And you're not to follow in a godly direction. They're going to say, you just need to do what's right for you. And, and all of a sudden you start hearing these messages and you go, I need to move that person from the circle of influence. And I need to move them up here to the circle of concern. In other words, I care about them. But I'm not going to let them speak into the deepest parts of my life. And in the middle, you've got the circle of intimacy, and this is reserved for the one person that you will fall in love with, that you will pursue, that you will marry, and you will form a covenant, God-honoring relationship, man and woman, husband and wife, until the day you die. And that's reserved for that one person. Let me tell you something. Go put that circle back up, if you will. Don't ever, don't ever marry somebody in your circle of concern. Don't ever marry somebody that you're rescuing. Don't ever marry somebody that you just don't know well, that doesn't really have the right to bring you in a mutually beneficial direction. The greatest marriages are going to be two people who are having a good relationship that moves them each in a mutually beneficial, positive direction, God-honoring direction. Don't marry someone out of your circle of concern. So here's what happens. We've got those three circles and I want to just tell you a little bit about some different friends. Because you say, well, what, how, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to move someone from this to that? What do I look for? What are you going to look for in your friendships? You're going to look for wise behavior. Does this person have wise behavior? You're going to look at a person and say, does this person honor God in their relationships? And, and I'm not saying that all your friends are supposed to be godly people. Because the truth is, you and I are to reach and have a concern and a care and a love for the people who, who don't value God at all and don't love us at all, that we, of course, are warm and welcoming, and we love them. But we're not going to give them the deepest parts of our heart. We have to guard our heart because it's so easy for us to be swayed into their values, which are not God-honoring. And so we have to guard our heart that way, but we want to have really good friendships, and you're going to look for things. Do they have wise behavior in their life? You're going to look for things. Do they, in fact, are they honoring God? Are they moving in a mutually beneficial direction? In college, I had a couple friends. And at Biola, where I went to college, we had a week that was like having chapel every day. And great Christian speakers come in. It was kind of all day long. But they would literally stop classes for a week. And you would have a spiritual week, a spiritual formation week. And it was phenomenal, great. But there's always, like any university, there's always people who try to get out of it. Oh, school's canceled? I'm going to try and get out of it. So I had a, one of the guys in my, uh, in my dorm rooms right around me, a friend of mine I play volleyball with all the time, his name is Doug. He was like, well, I'm going to go up to Northern California. I said, they have to ex get excuse to be able to go. I said, well, what was your excuse? Like, come on, Doug, honestly. What was your? He goes, I have to go back to Northern California to harvest the almonds. 
And that was his lie. And for me, from Southern California, I was like, seriously, like harvest the almonds? You know, I don't even know what time of year that actually happens. But like, but like that was his excuse. And he thought it was very funny. Like I literally just got out of a whole week of stuff. I'm going on a little mini vacation back up north. So he, this guy, Doug, who by the way, was a pastor's son. So he, he grabs another guy named Jeff because Jeff's mom has a car. And so they say, we could borrow Jeff's mom's Cadillac, and we're going to drive it north. So then Jeff had started dating this new girl, and Doug knew this other gal from Northern California that was up by us. So they're like, we're just going to carpool. We're all going to carpool back up to Northern California, spend the week doing whatever, and then we'll come back down, right? So on the way up, on the way while they're driving up, it's nighttime. They're driving up I-5, and as they're driving up I-5, Jeff, who's driving his mom's Cadillac, at some point leans over to kiss his new girlfriend, and takes his hands off the wheel and starts making out as they're driving with his new girlfriend. And the people in the back are like, wait, what are you doing? And right at that time, the car goes off I-5. It wipes out about 150 yards of fence, gets hung up on a fence post, and crashes in a field. And it's all quiet in the car. And nobody was injured, gratefully. But it's all quiet, and finally they start talking. But Doug in the backseat, he won't talk. He's not saying anything. He's just sitting there. And they kind of check everything out, and they see the condition of the car. They get back in the car. Well, they're waiting for some help, and Doug is still sitting back there like, Doug, what's going on? And he didn't say anything for about 20 minutes. And after 20 minutes, he says, keep your bleep eyes on the road. It's the only thing he says. He's making this pastor's son finally just unleashes this profanity. He finally tells the guy, you got to keep your eyes on the road. Because he'd seen this guy do something so foolish, take his hands off the wheel, start kissing this girlfriend and doing that. Listen, if you were to do something like that or be involved in something like that, you might evaluate the situation and you might want to move Jeff out of your circle of influence and into your circle of concern. Amen? You might want to move that guy there. And by the way, if you evaluate the evidence, you might insist on driving next time. If you went up to Northern California with him, you might not be driving back to Southern California with him because he can't trust his decision-making. You can't trust what that guy was doing. You have to look at it and understand that what was going on. And, and of course, we all kind of laughed at that. We were grateful no one got hurt. But we also laughed at that because we're like, dude, that guy, you just can't. And that guy didn't last hardly very long in school anyway. And we just saw, again, we, we want to love Jeff and we want to help bring him in a mutual smart direction but we're not going to bring him into our inner circle and allow him to influence our lives. And sometimes you need to evaluate your friendships. Are the people in your life, in your circle of influence, moving you in a mutually beneficial direction? Jesus, in his circle of friendships, he, he had the 12, which would be a circle of influence. He had the three, which were his inner circle uh, among them, that it was, those were the three guys that he was just tight with, even among his disciples. And then beyond that, he had his circle of concern. There were other disciples, and beyond that was his love for and his sacrificial love for the world. But we need friendships in our lives, and you need to make sure that you're moving people from your circle of influence to your circle of concern if it's not in a mutually beneficial direction. Number three, why is it important for you and I to have good friends? It's easier to do the right thing with the right people. It will always be easier for you to do the right thing when you're with the right people, right? It's easier to walk out of or avoid or stay away from an inappropriate situation with the right people than it is with the wrong people. 
It's way easier. Because sometimes you're, you're going to have that mutually beneficial courage. You're going to have that mutually beneficial resolve or that mutually beneficial wisdom when at times your desire for acceptance wants to take over. It's, it's easier to do the right thing with the right people. Good friends are wise. They know right from wrong. They make good decisions. And so it just makes your effort easier. You're going to discover when you begin to walk with wise people you're going to discover that you can actually have the kind of fun that doesn't leave regrets. You're going to say, this is possible. It's actually possible to have the kind of fun in life with other people that doesn't also bring along with it regrets. It's a beautiful thing. You begin to almost wake up to this idea. 2 Timothy 2.22, we've looked at this over the last few weeks. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Are you supposed to do that by yourself? No, you're supposed to do it in a crowd, do it with other people. It says, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we're going to run away from the bad. We're going to run toward the right stuff, but we're going to do that with other people. It's important for you to have good people in your lives because it's a lot easier to do the right thing with the right people. Do you realize that you don't really choose your friends? You think, I choose my friends. You do choose who you put in your circle of influence, but you don't choose your friends. Really, your friends choose you because as people, we typically just move toward acceptance. If that person is warm and welcoming and accepting to me, then I move toward them. I'm like, I like these people. They're liking me back. And so we, most often in our lives, you and I in friendships, move toward acceptance, even more than somebody else's desirable characteristics. They could have desirable characteristics, but if they're rejecting you, then you likely aren't going to move deeper in friendship with that person. You and I really kind of move toward acceptance. We're kind of like magnets, right? When you've got the magnets the backwards way, the, the polar opposites, they push against each other, but when you flip it around the other way, they snap together. Your friendships are the same way you're moving toward acceptance in as much as you move toward desirable characteristics. And I want to say that that's why people get involved in unhealthy, counterfeit relationships. Because they're moving toward acceptance, and if they're feeling rejected by one, but accepted by one that maybe doesn't have quite the right friendship guidelines they're looking for, but there's that snap together, they'll just get in relationship. They'll become friends. Why? Because it's an acceptance thing, but over time, you become like the people you hang around. And God wants you and I to have positive influencers in our innermost relationships in our life. Then beyond that, he wants us to have a circle of concern where we care for other people. You're naturally going to communicate and interact with people who make you feel accepted. You're going to steer clear of those that you sense are rejecting you. And that's why it's essential, listen to me, it's why it's essential for Christians to be warm and welcoming with anybody. Because people sense judgment. People sense that do your values make you reject me? Remember, we've talked about this time and again, that if, if your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then there's something wrong with your beliefs. And Christians shouldn't be the people mistreating people. Christians should be the most warm and welcoming people. Now, at the same time, it doesn't mean that you bring every person of every belief right into your innermost influencer. But do you see how they definitely need to be in your concern as Jesus' concern was also for the lost in the world. But what had happened in his day? The religious leaders had rejected, oh, we don't hang around with people who are sinners. 
who are tax gatherers, who are prostitutes and others. We, we just reject all those people. And, that's, and there was this rift, this judgment between the religious who didn't, by the way, know God. They were full of religion but not relationship with God. And in doing so, they couldn't recognize the Messiah, Jesus. And then those who were in the furthest out, worst situations, who would just humble themselves and cry out, God, I need you. And Jesus said, I came to heal those who were lost. I came for them. I came to heal those who were sick. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's the sick. And the truth is, your job and my job is to be warm and welcoming and let Jesus heal people. It's his job to save people. It's his job to heal people. But let me tell you, how you and I love in a sacrificial way, how you and I love in an agape way with other people, makes a world of difference. But that's why a Christian should be warm and welcoming. The warmest place that a person should walk into in their entire week of experiences should be the local church. They should say, you're allowed to be here just as you are. You can be full of experiences that are brutal. You can be at your lowest point. You can be at your highest point. But together, based on, not based on our economic level, not based on our racial level, based on, that all those things are a level playing field. And we come before it and we're seeking Jesus. And it's Jesus who saves. And this is the most welcoming place. I'm so, uh, I just love our church. One of the reasons I love our church so much is because time and again, people who come visit here say, I was overwhelmed at how warm and welcoming everybody was. I know we have you stand up and do a little one-minute meet and greet. You're not going to form your deepest relationships in that one minute, by the way. But what are we doing? We're, again, we're just letting people know that warmth wins. And we want you to understand that as you interact with the people in your, in your workplace, in your school, I'm telling you, warmth wins. Your warmth will win over a person before your words do, before your values do, before your religious beliefs do. Your warmth will win them first. And so Christians should be warm and welcoming people. That's why we should be the best at it. But let me ask you, with you, and you evaluate your friends, are your friends who are in your circle of influence, are your friends always causing quarrels and conflicts? Maybe they just go from one crisis to another all the time. Like they don't know what normal is. They just keep going, well, I handled this crisis, but now I don't know how to just be. I don't know how to just be normal. So now I have to like involve another crisis. And so you're always like rescuing your, pers- your friend out of a crisis. Or, or are they moving you and themselves in a mutually beneficial direction. We need to evaluate our friendships. Proverbs 13.10 says this, Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. If your friends are full of strife, guess what? There's a lot of pride going on in there, and there's an unwillingness to take advice, even if you give them good advice. And you might say that might trigger for you something that says, that might be the kind of person I want to still be in my circle of concern, but not my circle of influence. And it might be time for you as you're growing in the Lord, as you're moving in a positive direction, as God is growing you up in your faith, that God may be saying, I want you to move into your circle of influence, people who move you in a mutually positive direction. Sometimes we outgrow our kind of intimate or influence friendships. 
We just outgrow them because we're walking with the Lord. And as we do, we go, you know what? That friend no longer brought the same value as they did in that earlier season in my life. And I want to now move some better people, some good people into that circle of influence because they're going to influence me like I'm going to influence them. Number four, when you hang out with foolish people, you will become a target. The scripture is clear that when you hang out with foolish people, you become a target. When you associate with foolish friends, you unintentionally get put yourself in harm's way. Remember the theme verse, Proverbs 13, verse 20 said this, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Okay? The companion of fools is going to suffer harm. What is it saying? When you hang out with foolish people, you even unintentionally, you will become a target. You're going to potentially suffer harm. When you associate with foolish friends, you put yourself in harm's way. You make yourself a target. So often when I was working with students, they would say things like this. Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't get into all the crazy stuff that happens in that scene. Like all the people who are in that scene, I don't really do that. I just go to the parties. Well, what happens? Unintentionally, you're putting yourself in harm's way. And it might be that you would say, hey, I need to drive instead of that person driving. Or, and, and it's not your point that you're outreach. What they're doing is they're just trying to say, hey, I'm just trying to straddle the fence. I'm just putting these people who are in my circle of influence. They're not the wisest people. But you're saying, oh, I'm going to rise above them. And it's foolish, right? Because what happens is if those people that you're hanging out with in all those situations are in your circle of influence then you are going to put yourself in harm's way. You may not be the one causing it, but you put yourself in harm's way. That thought ignores what you do. It almost doesn't matter what you do. Well, if you have that thought, it doesn't matter what you do. As long as you're putting yourself in that situation, you have the potential to be in a really bad situation very, very fast. Because who you are with can cause you to suffer harm. In a number of years ago, my parents uh, intervened in a relationship that me and my older brother were forming. There was a guy who came, and I've told this story before, but if you're newer here, you'll remember, you'll hear this, that there was a guy and he started working at church with our youth group. So with high schoolers, and this is back in the day, but he started working with us. He wasn't the pastor, he was just a volunteer, but he seemed really cool and we liked him and he drove a really cool car and that was influential for us because we were high schoolers, right? And then he uh, started coming to some of our soccer games at the school, the Christian school I attended. And at one point I had thrown a kind of a, a disc out of alignment in my back and I didn't know about chiropractic back then. And at one point he goes, well, here, let me help you. And he, and he actually basically did like a chiropractic move that popped my vertebrae back into place. And I had gone from like pinching, excruciating pain to like being healed. And so this guy, well, I'm going to put him right in my circle of influence because he did me good, right? He's around, he's cool, he drives his fancy car. And then we had heard that he was a rock star in Europe, and we're like, yeah, whatever. Until a guy on my team, his cousins came from Norway, and they saw him, and it would be like Justin Bieber being at my soccer game, okay? It was crazy. And we didn't have the internet back then, so we couldn't look it up online. But we all of a sudden it validated. They said, no, no. And they pulled out their cassette tape. And showed his picture on it, you know. So we're like, dude, the guy's a real rock star, wow. So this guy was like, in our minds, he was awesome. But my parents, they, they saw something that wasn't okay. And they, they couldn't even put their finger on it. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? 
you just, you got this sixth sense about somebody, but you, you don't have any real evidence to back it, but you just feel an uncomfortableness in your spirit. And, and they pulled me and my brother aside after dinner one night, and they just said, hey, we want to let you know, you guys, you, you cannot hang out with this guy. You can't do it. You can't hang out with him. And I remember, like, being so upset. My brother, like, threw his fork down, walked out. Uh, we went out front. We're sitting down on the curb. And we're just frustrated. Like, I'm, like, crying. Like, this is so unjust. You have no idea. What are you talking about? This guy is the best. He's the greatest. My parents, were, they held their, to their guns. They said, no, we, we can't. And they were honest. We can't put our finger on it. But something's not right. And you, you guys cannot spend time, you know, outside of, like, church or obviously if you're at soccer with this guy. Well, about a month later, he took off with a bunch of my friends, started a little cult. Sometimes we're blind to the people we hang around, and sometimes we need some good people in our lives who can be objective to say, maybe you should take that person and move them from your circle of influence and move them to your circle of concern. I tell you, it was a tough lesson for me and my my guess is that in your life, there have been some tough experiences, tough lessons for you. But the question is, how far down the road do you and I go before we realize that's a tough lesson? Instead, we need to have, in addition to our circle of concern for people that we love and we want them to move in a direction toward the Lord and we want them to be great, we also need people on the inside who are our key influencers. Be careful who you let on the inside. You want to guard your heart. In about a week, uh, some of our high school students and junior high students and children will be heading off to Hume Lake Camp. And when you go to camp, you always think, well, there's a potential for like deeper friendships and deeper relationships. And if you're a student or you're sending a student, I want to encourage you to be wise about the friends you choose when you're at camp. That you go and just don't throw yourself over and say, hey, we're all here. We're all Christians. So obviously, because I've been a youth pastor long enough to watch people go and learn some really bad stuff at camp. Well, where'd you pick up that habit, camp? Where'd you do that, camp, right? So what happens is you want to look and say, when I'm going to camp, during that week where I'm focusing on the Lord, can I get some mutually beneficial people in my life around me while at camp? Some of you will go on a men's retreat this year. Yeah, it's here for the men's retreat. It's going to be awesome. I got to tell you, like, the speakers are phenomenal. Uh, one of the guys is a longtime friend of mine, played volleyball with uh, way back in the day um, in, in college at Biola and discipled the guy, and he worked on my youth staff. And just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. He will be one of the, you'll just have a great, great time uh, at the mentor tree. But even as we're at the mentor tree, we want to find people that are mutually beneficial friendships. And for some of you men in the room like me, you're going to say, I just need some guy friends in my life. And the only way you're going to get that is by having mutually beneficial, you got, you got to get on the retreat. You got to get, like, you have to have memories and experiences that you build together because that's the common ground to determine, do I move a person closer into my circle of it? Can I beneficially influence them? Will they beneficially influence me? Phenomenal, right? It's going to be a great, great time. Women's retreat coming up in October, same thing. That you want to go and you want to be, I want to be around a sisterhood in my life that's going to move me in a mutually beneficial direction. I want to form a sisterhood in my life that really helps. And you're going to look at that as you go on the women's retreat. For many of us, that's why we host circles. Because we need a place in our life 
that we're saying, you know what, I, I may not have it all together. I don't even know where it all is, but I'm willing to host. I'm willing to host a circle and because I'm providing an environment by which I can watch people and, and get to know people deeper. And I can find out, you know, that some of those people in my circle are actually going to be people over some shared experiences. I'm going to move into my circle of influence. And let me tell you, if you feel like I did a few years ago, and you're like, I just need some friends in my life, host a circle. Friends aren't just going to naturally come to you, host a circle, and provide an environment by which you can evaluate. And you may find some best friends in your life. Number five, and I want this to hit home, the church is not made up of perfect people. It's messy people becoming more like Jesus together. You might have walked in here today and go, oh, this church is talking about friendships and only having good friends in your life and it must be full of perfect people. We're not. We're all messy people, amen? We all have our stuff, but we are messy people who are, who are walking together toward Jesus. We're trying to run away from the wrong things. We're running toward the right things and we're doing it with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. We're saying together with those who've given their lives to Jesus, I want to go in a mutually positive direction. Titus, Paul writes to him, he says that this way in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, who's us, those who've received that message of salvation, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We're not perfect people, we're messy people, but we have a perfect God who has set us apart. He has set us apart to be a people for his own. He set us apart to be his people. He set us apart for us to be in relationship with him. And that's a beautiful thing. And so we want to be together with people who are in a relationship with God that they say, I want to move in a mutually beneficial direction with God. We're not perfect people, we're messy people. Inviting other people to come along with us as we pursue a perfect God, amen? That's the kind of people we need to be. Let me ask, do your friends encourage or hinder your relationship with Christ? Do your key friends, those in your circle of influence, do they encourage or are they hindering your relationship with Christ? Listen, it's not just your friends. It might be a family member. It might be a spouse. It might be others and and in those, you have to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guard my heart when it comes to my relationship with Christ. I'm still going to have that person in my circle of concern, but I'm going to move good people into my circle of influence because you know that you need great friends. So let me ask, what needs to be done starting today to adjust those in your circle of influence to change the quality and direction of your life? This morning, God may have put on your heart somebody that you're like, you know what? I need to move them from my circle of influence to my circle of concern. Others of you are saying, I need to move some good people into my circle of influence. I need to get involved in a circle. I need to get involved in a group where it meets in a home during a week with people from the church. And I need some of that because that's going to help counterbalance all the people that I interact with throughout the week. All the other people in all the other environments, I need a circle of people that will help counterbalance what I'm experiencing on a daily basis and meet with those people at least once a week. That'd be a phenomenal thing. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, it all begins 
by having a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you've never become a friend of Christ. You've never received his offer, his sacrificial offer of friendship. Here's the picture. Like Jonathan did with David, we surrender. We say, God, I want to stop being king of my life, king of my own throne, king of my world, because the temptation is to make ourselves God. I'm God of myself and God of my world. I want to tell you that that's an empty, empty place to be. But surrender happens when you begin to say, God, I'm going to lay down what I think is my rightful right to rule my life, and I'm going to come under the authority of you, the anointed king. You are the king of kings and lord of lords. You are God. You're the only one who has ever given his life to cancel out my sin, my sin, your sin. And if today you'd like to receive that relationship and that forgiveness for your sin, it's done when you say, God, I come to the end of myself and I'm going to surrender me to you. The way you do that is just talk to God. It's called a prayer. And so if you'd like to talk to God right now and accept his forgiveness and begin to walk in a relationship with him that will last the rest of your life, then you pray a prayer right like this after me. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation on the inside. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you sacrificially gave yourself to cancel out my sin debt. I believe you rose from the dead that you're God. And so today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.